Is a great Alaskan fly fishing trip still on your bucket list? Have you already been to Alaska but wanting that experience again? Are you interested in the luxury of a lodge in the middle of Alaska where there likely won't be another angler for miles? Today, Jordan and Zach Larson are here to shed light on the Alaskan experience through their amazing lodge at Togiak. This is the Wet Fly Swing Podcast where we show you the best places to travel to for fly fishing, how to find the best resources and tools to prepare for the trip, and what you can do to give back to the fish species we love. Hey, I'm Dave, host of the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. I've been fly fishing since uh, about as long as I can remember. I grew up around a fly shop and now host one of the largest fly fishing podcasts in the country. I've also interviewed more great fly anglers than just about any show in this country. Today, you're going to discover what it takes to catch a Chinook salmon on a fly. You'll get a backstage look into uh, Zach and Jordan's lodge and the four months they spend up in this part of Alaska, what to expect when you're heading for uh, king salmon or mousing for rainbow. After today, you will know exactly what it'll take to put together this trip, either for yourself uh, via DIY or if you're going to take Zach and Jordan up on a trip. We're going to dig into it all. Plus... We just launched a huge giveaway to win a spot to this lodge and five days of fishing Bristol Bay, Alaska at Togiak and one of the most unique experiences in the world. This is a big one. Let's get started with Jordan and Zach Larson from TogiakLodge.com. How you guys doing? We are doing fantastic. Doing very good, Dave. Yeah, great to have you guys back on here. Um, I'm really excited for this one because uh, this is a big week right now. We're launching, we've launched the the big giveaway. So you guys are giving away a trip up to your lodge, up to Alaska, up to an amazing place to, uh, and, and the timing is going to be like early July. So we're talking, there's going to be king salmon, rainbow. And so we're going to talk about that today. And, and we guys, we had you on recently, another episode, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. But I want to talk some tips, maybe what somebody would expect if they were coming up there in the summer to fish for uh, potentially king salmon rainbows. Does that sound good to you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Take it away. All right. Well, let's do a quick little summary. I, I can't remember that last episode we did, but just for those listening that didn't catch that one, talk about who first, maybe Zach, let's start with you. You guys are brothers, but... Um, Give us a rundown on like, let's look at like right now in the season. How are you gearing up for things right now? So right now um, we are about ready to start ordering in mass for all of our supplies uh, for this upcoming season. Um, our shipping containers that we send up every year, usually it's two 20 foot shipping containers are scheduled to leave sometime between the end of March um, and the first part of May. Um, so really starting right now, it's just getting everything here to where we're at in Washington so that we can verify that we've got what we need, load it up, and then ship it out. Um, beyond that, uh, we're always trying to sell trips and send people information on trips. Um, there's, you know, there's invoicing, there's catching up on, you know, whatever bills need to be handled. Um, just a, a lot of administrative work this time of the year. Yeah, it's. I find it very humorous because a lot of people assume uh, <laughs> once we get home, we're just kind of kicked back with our feet up and not really doing anything. And right. like, we definitely give ourselves a little bit of time off when we get home, but this is an incredibly busy time of the year. I would even say this is our second busiest time of the year. Uh, we're planning for two trade shows right now. We have a new boat being built. Like there's just so much going on and then, you know, planning for content for the year and it just, yeah, there's a lot going on. Wow. That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And we talked about the, the story of how you guys came to you know, be connected and running the, the lodge. So that's, well, again, we'll have a link to that. This is a really great story. 
But today, yeah, I want to hear. So, so you've got the boat. You got a lot going on. I want to talk about this trip because right now somebody can enter at wetflyswing.com/giveaway. There will also be a, sh- a link in the show notes that people can enter. But I want to talk about what they're going to win. So, on top of all the gear, the fly gear, let's talk about the trip. So, early July, what can that person expect if they're going to be coming up there for you know like four nights, three days of fishing? What's the first uh, the first day going to look like? Yeah, absolutely. So the first day um, that you're in Alaska, I guess, you're going to get up pretty early in the morning and you're going to head to the Ted Stevens International Airport to catch a a private chartered flight out to the lodge. That flight's going to leave the airport right about seven o'clock. Assuming that everything goes well, you're going to land in Togiak, in the village of Togiak at about 8.30 to 9. Uh, We will be there with our staff and our boats and our trucks to pick everybody and everything up off of the, the plane. We will promptly make our way to what we call the beach in Togiak. It's literally, it's just a a beach where everybody launches their boats. Um, And then from there, we'll take about a 20-minute boat ride up the river. It's roughly six miles or so as the river flows uh, to the lodge. Um, So if everything lines up the right way and it all goes smoothly, you should be to the lodge by, you know, certainly by 10 o'clock that first full day in Alaska. Yeah, we tell people to fly in the night before at Anchorage. That way they can make that early morning flight. But uh yeah, you're there at 10. We bring everybody into the, the main lodge area for a quick, uh, what we call an orientation speech, basically just a rundown, the do's and the don'ts of the lodge, where to find your rooms and you know everything that you'll need while you're there. We get a quick meal into everybody and they're on the water a lot of times by 1130 um, for, your, for your first day on the water. You know, It's not a wasted travel day, I guess I would say. Right. That's the day. So, and on that day, so I think we were thinking July 6th through the 11th. And so the, the six would be like a, a Saturday. So would the, would the person be arriving, um, that day that like on the Friday night, is that the day or would it be a Saturday? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it depends on, on where the person is coming from, but we would advise most folks to fly into Anchorage the night before. Um, so Friday the 10th, at some point you're going to, what's that? Oh, I'm sorry. Friday the 5th, you're going to land in Anchorage. Um, and then early the next morning on the 6th, you're going to fly out to the lodge. Yeah, out to the lodge. So and then on that Saturday, so if all goes well, you'll be fishing um, on that day, on that Saturday. And, and where, what typically does that first kind of day of fishing look like, that half a day? Are you hopping in the, the jet boat going upstream or what, what are you doing there? Yeah, I mean, really, we'll, we, we leave it to the discretion of the guides, um, depending on water levels and, you know, just how things are in a given year. And also, too, it's up to kind of the, the, the client and what they want to experience. Um, if they just want to experience everything that Togiak has to offer, we leave that to the guide. And that could be, I mean, that could look like running downstream down into tidewater, uh, you know, to hit the, the last part of an outgoing tide to get some kings that are mm. fresh in off of that, that previous high tide. Or it could look like, you know, running upstream eight to 10 miles um, in one of the jet boats and, you know, hitting, hitting a spot where there are fish that are staging. Um, if a guy wants to come in and goes, Hey, I really want to chase some rainbows, um, rather than making Kings a priority, um, that time in July, there's still some pretty good opportunity to chase rainbows around on mouse patterns. Um, so we, we can hop in one of the, one of the little jet boats and head up one of the tiny tributaries, um, and make a full first day of just that, um, if you want. Oh man, that's it. I mean, you got the schnook, but now we're talking the mousing. So somebody could just spend that first day hitting, going up and doing the mousing. And they, would that typically be heading up river uh, to a spot? It would be. Yeah, yeah it would be. Where, where we're at, uh, we're at about river mile six or so. We're just on the upstream edge of tidewater. Um, we don't see a whole lot of the, uh, of, of, we see big rainbows. We don't see concentrated numbers of them down that low in the system generally. 
um, unless the water gets real low for some reason. Right. Okay. Perfect. And and so for the Chinook, let's just say that first day we're heading up for Chinook. What does that look like for the gear? Is this going to be where somebody would be bringing a spade rod, or what would you guys recommend? Yeah. Well, I mean, the nice thing about going to a river like the Togiak is that you kind of get to choose how you want to catch them. You know, assuming that it's even an an average run size for that year, there are a lot of fish around. So, you know, if a guy really wants to uh, wants to wrestle with them on a spay rod, absolutely. We've got a ton of really good water for doing that. Um, If it's a higher water year, even just moderately higher water, there's some really good opportunity to catch them on a single handed rod, stripping in big streamers um, or clousers, uh, similar to what you would target silvers with. Um, this last year, especially, there were some spots that were just loaded with kings, slewy little back channel areas that would have been perfect for going in and throwing a single-handed rod at them, uh, which can be a ton of fun. Um, and then there's the the gear opportunity as well. If there's some folks that want to, you know, that want to chase them on conventional gear, whether that's spinning or casting, the options there for that. I don't know that I could look at somebody and say this is exactly what you need to bring because it's the very best, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very open. We're fortunate to have that that opportunity. Nice, nice. No, that's great. So somebody listening can, yeah, they can bring their spade rod, they can bring a single hand rod, or even they can go for some conventional style up there and, and do it. And, and so the Chinook, so that might be, we're just kind of building the trip. And again, this is open to, you know, whoever is going to be coming up on this. But if we did hit Chinook, um, you know, you go out there and uh, how late are you typically fishing? Because come July, there's going to be a lot of light out there, right? How late are people staying out there? Yeah, there's a lot of light, overwhelmingly so if you haven't experienced it before. Uh, Generally, though, our daily schedule is on the water after breakfast. So we'll say around 8 o'clock, folks are getting on the water. Um, They have the option to come back to the lodge for lunch if they want, or they can eat out on the boat if they they want to do that. Um, But at any rate, most of the boats are rolling back in uh, for the final time, sometime between 5 and 5.30, um, and then dinner is served uh, fairly shortly after that. Um, and there's an option if guys want to go out in the evening, um, there's a bit of bank line right in front of the lodge where they're welcome to go out and fish. We've got a big dock there that they can fish off of as well. Um, we don't offer any, any guided excursions, um, after dinner, um, unless of course the, the client has had that conversation with their guide and the guide wants to take them out after that point. Gotcha. Perfect. No, this is awesome. So there's day one and then we're sitting back and, and obviously you guys have everything covered at the lodge. Uh, what would day two potentially look like? So is this something where you sit down and you talk to your, what, is the person going to have a, the same guide for a good part of the trip or is there a mixing of things or how does that work? Yeah, generally um, we designate a guide to um, a group of clients uh, for the duration of the trip. Um, we don't have to. Uh, we've had groups of clients, generally larger groups that are all associated with each other who who want to cycle around and fish with different guides and experience some of the different styles. Um, so really, I mean, we can, uh, if somebody wants to fish with different guides or do different things specifically, uh, we can accommodate that. Um, as a general rule, though, we try and do our best to match up skill sets with uh, characters and demeanors of guides and uh, pair somebody up who's going to going to do a good job of taking care of the same group for the time that they're there. Yeah. Okay. So, and there's a little bit of open, I, I guess if we're talking, you know, one person coming up there and I'm going to be, uh, coming up there as well, hopefully if all things work out. So I think there was a good chance that, um, I might be fishing with, uh, the winner, which will be pretty awesome. Um, what else could this person expect or anybody else that maybe is thinking about coming up there? Like, let's go back to your area, you know, uh, North Northern Bristol Bay, 
where you're at, it's a very, um, you're pretty remote, right? I mean, you're not like right next to Anchorage. You're pretty far from Anchorage, right? No, no, we are, we are just shy of 400 miles, um, would be west, southwest of Anchorage. The nearest village to Togiak um, would probably be Dillingham. I mm. don't remember what the full-time population in Dillingham is. I, I think it's a couple thousand people. There, there aren't many people around at all. There are no roads to Togiak or Togiak River at any, at any point. Um, in the drainage. Once you get upstream of the lodge, there are no other permanent structures besides a, a, a couple small like trappers cabins, you know, until you sit the drainage at its headwaters, I, you know, 150 miles away, I guess, or farther. Um, it's wilderness area. It's, it's national wilderness area. Right on. Yeah. I just pulled it up on, uh, on Google maps. That's always where I start. And it shows, it's pretty funny because it shows Togiak Lodge uh, top rated on Google and, um, and there's nothing around you guys. I mean, there's literally, no, that's the only thing. Not a thing. You know, I, to, to touch base, you know, on guides and whether people that were up there fishing would get to fish with different guides or not. Uh, I guess a good example of when we would switch up guides, um, is when somebody conveys that, Hey, I really want to go chase rainbows up one of the little tributaries. And we've usually got two or three guides on staff that enjoy running those trips and are, are able to uh, maneuver the little boats evasively enough to get up those little tributaries. Um, and so that would be a great example of when you might fish with a guide who you weren't originally designated with. Um, to touch on you know, other options or things to um, experience while they're there, there should be an abundance of chum salmon around by that oh, time. Oh, really? Oh, there will be chum too. Um, it won't, I won't say that it will be quite the peak of the run, but there should be should be pretty good numbers. They will be chrome bright and in as good a condition as you're going to see them at any point during the season. Um, but certainly on most years and numbers plentiful enough to, to really go and target well on the fly rod. Um, you know, they're an interesting fish for those that aren't familiar with them. They're these, these vibrantly colored kind of tiger striped pattern salmon um, that whether it's warranted or not, they have a reputation for, for just being bulldogs. Um, they're not known as well for being highly coveted for their flesh, but they're a ton of fun and they're very willing to take a fly. Yeah. Perfect. No, I think it's, uh, there's obviously a lot of options we're talking right now, like July, but there's, you know, different throughout the whole summer, depending on what people want to do, you know, whether they want to hit up there and hit other species. But I'm just thinking for Chinook, for me, you know, specifically, I'm good. Just, I mean, again, if it came down to one fish, you know, in a day, having a chance at a Chinook, right? That's that, that opportunity and, and on the swing and, or something. Is that typically the way it's going to be? Or maybe talk about that a little bit, how guys are fishing with the fly. How are they uh, fishing and hooking up with these Chinook? Yeah, I, I would say the, the bulk of the folks that are coming to Togiak to target kings on a fly rod um, are generally targeting with spay gear. Um, they're swinging big flies through deep runs or long big, long gravel bars. Um, I would say the, the guys that want to target them on a single-handed rod or the, the, the vast minority um, in that case, mo most all of it, um, is spay gear, not because it has to be, they're just, there seems to be a culture of guys who are really dedicated to chasing Kings and, uh, the, you know, the spay rod is a great way to do that. Yeah, no, it's kind of taken over. I know I, I came, I was a little bit late to the spay game, but you know, I'm fully into it and it's like anything, you know, fly fishing, any type, you just kind of get into it and you find the little thing that's like, Oh, this is the new thing. You know, I'm going to try to get this dialed in the the spay cast is pretty yeah. cool. So, and the gear is, what is the typical uh, spay rod somebody would be using kind of length and weight up there? For sure. Years? Yeah. Um, 13, 13 and a half foot, somewhere in there, just as an average, um, and probably a nine or 10 weight. 
would be, I think, what's most common. We, we've seen it kind of, you know, across the board. We've seen rods as long as 15 or 16 foot, real custom custom things. But no, at 13, 13 and a half, somewhere in there would be just fine. You know, and the, the, the other part of the of chasing them on the spay rod, too, is that you can cast a heavier rod, a stronger rod, um, and not just wear yourself out so bad. Exactly. You know, that guys, guys ask about, you know, the different species and, you know, how they fight or what the fight's like. And I would say if you're in chums or silvers, they protest all the way to the boat. But when you're hooked up with a king, they battle you all the way to it. They're just a bigger, stronger fish with a lot more endurance. And so it's nice to be able to have a rod that you can that you can lean on them with a little bit harder so that you're not fighting them for, you know, 20 yeah. minutes if you have to. That's it. okay. Yeah. yeah. And Dave, we do have a, uh, a pretty cool spay video on our YouTube channel and our website. Oh, nice. Nice. It's on our King Salmon page on the website and uh, made that a couple years back with uh, Steve Morrow from Epic Waters Angling. And uh, it, that's a pretty good representation of kind of the, the water that we're fishing, obviously water dependent, of course, but that's yeah, a pretty cool video. So for, for those who are curious kind of what the river looks like, that's a, that would be a great way to kind of see what that looks mm -hmm. like. Uh, and something else I wanted to add just to expectations and, yeah. you know, kind of what is going to happen for whoever makes it up there. Um, we stress hard to our guides at some point in the trip to offer some sort of uh, shore lunch. And so what that looks like is two options. They can either bring a portable barbecue or they can bring briquettes and they, you know, have their guests catch a fish and you make lunch right there on a gravel bar. And it, it's so simple. It really is incredibly simple, but it goes such a long ways, like just for the experience uh, to be able to sit on a gravel bar in super remote Alaska and eat a fish that you caught. Like it's simple and it's so cool. It really is. It is. No, I, I love that you say that. I was just looking because... You know, the Togiak National Wildlife Refuge, I'm, I'm guessing, that is this like 20 million acres or something like that? Is it just huge? It, yeah, it's, it's massive. a ton. Yeah. We were up there. This has been a number of years, but I was up north of you up on the Queefluck. Um, We were fishing up there, you know, kind of later in the summer. But same thing. I think it's like 20 minutes, like the largest, they're just the largest wildlife refuges. But our boat broke down on a bar one night and we were stuck like in the middle of nowhere and kind of sat there by the fire with our shotgun next to us, but we didn't have any food. And we went down and just popped a coho and it was just this bright coho and we ate it over the fire and it was the best fish to this day, still the best salmon, the best fish I've ever had. So there's something about, right. You don't need much. You just need some tin or however you do it. Just the fish. Correct. Uh yeah, it's. I think the experience really drives in the flavor, if you will. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well, let's see if we can get a couple of tips out here. So we're talking, so we're going to bring up 13 foot, whatever people want. We can talk more about that and dig into the, the lines and stuff. But essentially, it's probably like a Skagit style line. You're going to have a, some sinking tips and some stuff like that. But what would you say would be a couple of tips? If somebody's getting ready for this and they have never fished for Chinook before, what are you telling that person you know, kind of the day before, maybe the week before they get going. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, to start simply hold on tight. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, when, when you hook a, even an average size adult King, um, if they want to go on a blistering run, it's kind of an intimidating feeling when you're sitting there holding the rod and you can't do anything. Right. They're just going, you know, especially, especially if you're on a gravel bar or a, you know, a, uh, a wood debris strewn sandbar where you can't move around real easy. Like they'll get in the current and go. And it's just like, well, just hold on. What do you do? Do you try to crank down on the drag at all? Or do you just. Well, I mean, to, to, 
to the extent that you can depends on what leader line you're 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 bringing with you but i i would just say be ready for a you know a, a truly hard a hard battle when it comes to gear or what you could bring to physically prepare for the trip i would say don't be afraid to bring some relatively heavy leader material and i'll, mm. I'll define what i mean by that um, a lot of the spay anglers that we've had up at the lodge want to run 15 or, or 20 pound monofilament leader um, and they're they're not real comfortable going much heavier than that um, and i would say if you run 30 or even 40 that would probably be a fantastic idea not because you have to have that to land them but you can put enough pressure on the fish where you're not stretching that battle out 15 20 25 minutes where those fish are just wildly fatigued at the end of it the other side of that is that in in certain spots especially lower in tidewater there's a lot of woody debris that's built up right on the current scene that we're trying to target these fish on and if you can if you can put a little bit more pressure on them um, because of a heavier leader, then you can work them out of some of that stuff and, and actually land the fish. Um, and I, I know there's a concern with fly lines because they, they're relatively expensive. Mm -hmm. um, yes, you don't want to break your fly line. You want the leader to break. But if you're comfortable bringing 30 or 40 pound tests for leader material, um, just know that nobody at the lodge is going to look at you like you have two heads. We totally yeah. understand. You're not going to think you're weird or that it's excessive um, in, in chasing these fish around. They don't seem to be leader shy and it's helpful on the angler's end. Okay. So third, and then what would that, is this like just a short little few feet of leader or what, what is the, would the actual leader look like the full leader? Yeah. I mean, the, the leader length is relatively short. It's not like a long tapered leader that you'd see on a, you know, on a single handed setup. Yeah. Um, it, it depends on the preference of the angler, but two to four feet somewhere in there, I think would be, would be just fine. Um, I feel like they don't bite quite as well when you get shorter than that two foot mark. There's guys that run incredibly short leaders just because it's convenient to do so. Um, yeah, to, somewhere between two and four feet long. Two and four. Yeah, that's about right. What is the take like when a Chinook? Is this something where they are they kind of playing with it or do they hit it and usually and just go? I've seen it both ways. I think stereotypically they just grab it and they go. Um, but I, I've seen it, you know, where a guy's making a drift, he's swinging down through there and that rod starts to load up and then it lets go and then it loads up and then it lets go and then it loads up again. Finally, it's fish on. Um, I would say the vast majority of the time though, they swoop in, they scoop that fly up, they turn slightly out to go back wherever they were at and it's game on from there. It's game on. Perfect. Good. So, so then that's day one. So we got, so that's kind of, you know, <laughs> potentially day one and then. So I think we're talking here like six through the 11th. I mean, maybe like what? Maybe like four or five nights, right? Is that something like that? Let me see here. I think it it's five nights. Yeah. Because yeah. you're leaving, you're leaving on the sixth, the sixth day technically is when you're yeah. leaving. So yeah, it's, it's five, it's really four and a half or four and three quarters days fishing. And um, five nights. And five nights. Mm -hmm. And five nights. Perfect. Yeah. So this is, this is awesome. And and so, and, and the next day, like you said, you will be talking and figuring out with your guy, like, okay, where do you want to go? So the next day you could say, Hey, I want to, I maybe got my first snook, you know, on day one. And you're thinking, let's go for, uh, let's do some mousing. What, what is that? Let's take us there. How are we going quite a ways upstream? Maybe describe what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our preferred tributary to run up, um, from the lodge, the mouth of that tributary is, it's probably eight miles, I'm guessing seven or eight miles. Um, usually we're headed up there in a, in a 16 foot, um, little jet boat with a 60, 40 on it. So we're not breaking any speed records getting there. I, I would say it's probably, it's probably a half hour or so to the mouth mm -hmm. of, of that little river. Um, and then once we get to the mouth of it, 
depending on water level, will run anywhere from a mile and a half to six miles um, up this little river to get where we think the fish are going to be at. Um, and it changes wildly every year, um, cuts new channels, you know, completely veers off from where it was at. So um, in July, we'll still be learning how it has changed from the year before. And just the boat ride up and down is, is pretty exhilarating at times. Um, sometimes more exhilarating than you want it to be because it's just small water, right? It's, you know, there's not, not a lot of room for error. Um, yep. It is one of my most favorite places on earth. When, when you get up there and you shut the motor off, it's so quiet. It's spooky. I mean, there's just no background noise. There's no noise pollution. There's nothing around you. Every now and again, you'll see a plane fly over, but that's not often. Yeah. So this isn't uh, something where you're going to see, like, turn around a the corner, there's going to be a bunch of guys yeah. um, no. camping or something like that. No, no, not at all. And the, the river itself, like I said, it's small. I mean, it varies depending on you know how much rain we've had. But if I had to label it on average, I would say 300 to 500 cubic feet per second for, for you know, those listeners that are used to look at discharge levels in cubic feet per second. Um, it's, it's small. At times, I would call it a crick. This is cool. I'm, I'm looking at one river upriver from you on the map. I'm not, I won't uh, name drop, but I mean, yeah, some of these, how many tribs like this one you're, uh, you're talking about here are there on this section within say that for 30 miles of river? Yeah, that, that we have access to that we can legally guide within. Um, there are two. One of mm -hmm. those is, is the uppermost boundary of where we can go. Um, that one's called the Ponga Puck. You can theoretically run a boat up that one. I've done it one time i don't think i'll ever do it again because it is it is boulder strewn and dangerous and really cool but not worth the stress involved in, in getting up there but the mouth of that river um is a staging zone for literally everything it's kind of the it can be the pinnacle of most people's trip up there um, we encourage all of our guides whether the clients are familiar with it or not or have conveyed an interest in going up there or not to do what they can, pick the nicest portion of a day and and make a trip up there and experience it because it's stunningly beautiful and you you literally never know what you're going to run into at the mouth of this river. I mean, it can be loaded with kings and chums and dollies and rainbows and and sockeye at times, lots and lots of sockeye. Later in the year, obviously, silvers. Um, but you're, you're fishing on the bank at that one, usually right where um, that river flows into the Togiak, right at the mouth of that little river. And then the other one that, that we run the little sleds up, um, like I said, we've probably realistically got about six miles of, of fishable water that we can access um, on that other drainage. Gotcha. Okay. And is the Kimuk, is that up there? Yeah. So the, that one's actually pronounced with a G. Um, when you get to Yupik names that are written, in oh. name, they can be spelled uh, many different ways for the same word. Nobody's quite sure what the actual spelling is supposed to right. be. So that one, that one, as I've heard it pronounced, at least, is the Gimak. Um, oh, Gimak. Okay. Yeah, we've, we've actually been a long ways up that one. Um, for our own personal recreation, we can't take clients up that far. Oh, I see. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. I mean, as you look on the map, I mean, it's just, there's just water everywhere. And there's pond, there's, it will look like lakes. I mean, are, is there also lots of, are there fish in those, any of the, the kind of the still water? Or are those just kind of like... Uh, tundra ponds yeah well a lot of them are just tundra ponds um but any of them that are connected to the togiak or can be connected to the togiak um during a high water event most all of them are loaded with pike um, oh with pike wow yeah. 
So we've got access to just a, a handful of those spots that we can reasonably get the boats into or hike into, which can be very difficult down in the, the lower, lower regions of the, of the drainage. But um, the ones that we can get into, it can be very good pike fishing at times. Um, I, I forgot to mention there, there is another, it's not a tributary of the Togiak. It's actually a, a river that runs into Bristol Bay proper into the Togiak region of Bristol Bay um, that we have access to, assuming that we have weather conditions that allow us to get out there. That little river is down, I'll say down the beach from Togiak. If you, if you look at the village of Togiak on Google Earth and uh, just head down the beach, probably 12 miles or so down the coastline. Um, that little river dumps in there. And we made a few trips up it last year. As far as we could tell, there was nobody else there. And it is uh, stunningly beautiful and wild in a way that there just aren't words to describe. Yeah, it's, Dave, I, I, I mean, I'm struggling to even find words to describe this river. It's, it's, I've never been anywhere like this place. It's just, huh. It's even better than the Gishik. It's even better than the upper part of the Togiak. It's just oh, insane. Wow. Is it smaller? Is it smaller than these the Togiak? Oh, much smaller. Yeah, much smaller than the Togiak. I would say that it, well, on average, at least when we've been there, that it's twice the volume of water as the, the Gishik, which, you know, three to 500 on, on average, if I had to guess. I mean, there's no way of measuring it. Um and we don't know a whole lot about it. The state doesn't need, seem to know a whole lot about it. We made one trip out there in, I guess it would have been in late June last year, just to see if we could even get a boat up it. As it turned out, we could. Uh, and then we went back in August um, and it was loaded, loaded, loaded with silvers. Um, but presumably it gets everything else. There were a ton of dead chums and pinks that had already spawned at that point in time which tells me that it very likely has a, a lot of um, sea run char or Dolly Varden, whatever you want to call them uh, that run up there as well. Um, as far as a, a rainbow fishery up that one or a king fishery, we don't know yet. Um, but that's, that's one of the cool things about coming to a place like Togiak River Lodge is that you can reasonably go and fish something that very few, if any other people have ever seen or gotten to experience. Right. Yeah. This sounds killer. So there might be an opportunity, I mean, you know, to fish this river. Is that something in July or is that more of a later something you guys still need to explore? Well, we, we will be exploring it in July for this year. I would, if I had to guess, I would say there's gotta be Kings in it in July. That should be right. Very peak of King run timing for most of the drainages in our region of Bristol Bay. Um, and then certainly, uh, pinks and chums and sockeye and, you know, everything else that swims in out of the bay. Presumably, like I said, we don't know for sure. And there's very little information on it because it's so inaccessible. Yeah. Right on. Do you guys keep up with the Bristol Bay? I mean, because Bristol Bay is probably one of the most known names in Alaska because mainly because of the, um, some of the conservation, right? The Bristol Bay, they were doing some, um, what, what was in the upper headwaters or trying to build some mines or something like that? Pebble mine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the pebble mine. The proposed pebble mine, which would potentially be one of the world's largest gold or copper mines or gold and copper mines. Um, you know, and that, and that battle has been going on for shoot at least, at least 15 years at this point, right? possibly and it's still going, still going. I mean, every, every couple of years, um, it seems like there's renewed effort to make this thing go through. And there are a lot of people who don't want to see it go through. And it, it just kind of seems like this cycle where it quiets down and then it gets loud and then it comes, it back. And it it, comes back. Here's the thing about pebble. It's one of those like hot topic, controversial things that really like 
actually brings all fishing groups together on the same page. The commercials don't like it. We don't like yep. it. Like the the locals don't like it. Nobody likes right. it. Nobody know? likes it. So it's yeah. It's I, I really don't see it ever getting to the point where it's going to be implemented. It's just too big thing on too precious of a resource you know right yeah and it's in the event that it did go in it wouldn't directly affect our drainage we're not connected in any way shape or form um to that drainage it would be on the the lake iliamna system which as a as one of the world's finest gems of a natural resource and a truly wild and incredible place like iliamna takes the cake Uh, the togiak is awesome togiak lake is stunningly beautiful we pair in comparison to to come even anywhere close to what Iliamna has to offer. And that's a big part of the reason why there's so much, um, you know, why there are so many people who don't want Pebble Mine to go in because of, of all the wonderful, wild, beautiful places, they pick the most wonderful and wild and beautiful yeah. to propose this mine. So. Right. Gosh. And the lake, uh, the Togiak Lake is how far is that way? Can you guys actually get up to that? Can you boat up to that? Yeah. Yeah. We, we have, we've made uh, uh, multiple trips up there for our, oh, wow. our own, our own enjoyment. I would say it's right about 60 miles from the lodge. Um, it's a long ways. It's a long boat ride after you, you know, stop for a couple bathroom breaks and to stretch your legs. You know, it's it's every bit of a three hour trip up there. Yeah, it's a long ways. Wow. Yeah. And the, the lake itself, if I remember correctly, I want to say it's 13 or 15 miles long, somewhere in there, somewhere in that. Yeah, range. gotcha. That's really, and are people going? Is that something where people are, um, you know, doing the like the plane drop off into that lake sort of thing? Yes. Um, if memory serves me correctly, there is one outfitter that is permitted to conduct those trips up there. And I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, we see a handful of those raft trips come down, um, each summer, um, assuming decent weather conditions. Um, you know, it's not one of those things where it's like, Oh, Hey, it's Tuesday. The rafters are coming down again. Yeah. They've got limited windows that they can get in on, but for the folks out there who are listening to this, um, I, I mean, I wish I could remember the name, but if you Google search Togiak Lake rafting trips, it'll come up. We've had a number of our guests who stay at the lodge who have gone on those trips. Oh, they say it's nothing short of amazing. Perfect. Yeah, there's so many. And, and I think the cool thing about this is that you've got, you know, you guys have obviously this lodge. So, I mean, a lot of people like the comfort of going out and fishing like we're talking about and then going back to and having a nice dinner, yeah. you know, the five star and all that stuff and the comfort and um, but I think, you know, for some people, they might love that too, right? The remote just drop into that. And, and even there might even be a hybrid. I mean, could somebody potentially, if they want to do that trip and then maybe get some days at your lodge sort of thing, do a little hybrid? Yeah, most certainly. One of our uh, most longstanding guests at this point um, has done exactly that, where they'll set up a float trip and uh, they communicate to us in advance, you know, when they'd like to come to the lodge. And uh, we we run upstream and we pick them up and they get the best of both worlds. There you go. God, this is great. All right. So we're building this trip out. It's just kind of the more, you know, so we're talking rainbow. Well, let's touch on that just a little bit here on, on the mousing. Yeah. So again, for somebody new to mousing, you know, what do they expect? It's, is this kind of like a nine foot six weight or doesn't really matter kind of normal trout? I mean, cause we're talking some bigger trout here, right? We are. Yeah. At times I, for the most part, we're running nine foot six weights. Um, really, I would say it's going to come down to the preference of the angler and, and what they want to cast all day. Um, certainly for some of the mouse patterns, especially when they, when they get a little bit waterlogged, 
Um, a little bit heavier of a rod is nice for throwing that sort of fly, especially if you have any wind, you can get it out there a little bit farther with a little bit heavier rod. But anywhere between a six and an eight weight would be just fine. Like I said, at the preference of the angler. Um, as far as the patterns themselves, I don't get super worried about how realistic and lifelike the fly looks. If you fish it the right way, they're probably going to eat it. We're, we're blessed with uh, fish that are unpressured and, and aren't overly smart to the tactics of anglers. So they can be pretty right. interesting that way. Um, but if you, you put your, you know, put yourself in the mindset to make a, a quartering downstream cast and channel your inner panicked rodent as you swim it across the river. And if they're there, they're going to eat it. And if they miss it the first two or three times, they'll probably take it the fourth or fifth time. Um, after that, they've, they've had enough. If you miss that many opportunities, probably move on to the next spot. But well, we've had really, really good success doing that. Um, I would say into mid-July, maybe a little bit later, after the chum salmon start spawning in good numbers, um, they, aren't, they aren't nearly as keyed in to the, the top water bite. They're chasing eggs around. Oh, right. That's the one advantage of going kind of earlier on in the June, July is that you still get these rainbows that they basically they're on the mousing. is It's a good time to hit at that, that early period. Yeah, they're ravenously hungry and there there isn't a ton of food in the system uh, via spawning fish at that point. Yep, right on. And so, yeah, well, let's expand out a little bit. So the, the giveaway again, we're doing this. Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be in early July, but there is this wider period. So for you guys, just remind me again, when are you guys, when can people start to think about going up there to fish, uh, you know, that part of the country? Absolutely. So we, our first clients show up um, most years on June 21st, um, and we will end our first season uh, somewhere between the 28th and the 30th of July. Um, after which point we take a small break and we start up again on August 10th, uh, for our silver salmon season. And that goes through the middle of September. Middle of September. Yep. And then in between there, you've got the other three Pacific salmon, plus you have rainbows plus uh, Dolly Varden or the other species that you'd be hitting there too. Yeah. So we have, we have grayling in the Togiak system in the upper reaches of it. There are lots of them for whatever reason, we don't see all that many of them, um, down below the, the boundary of the wilderness area. So unlike a lot of the other Bristol Bay drainages and just drainages in Alaska in general, we don't have super good grayling opportunities um, in the water that we can access on a regular basis. Every now and again, you'll catch one. But if you were coming there, you know, with a mind to target grayling, I would say that there might be other areas that would be better for you. But um, they're there in some capacity. Uh, we have quite a few whitefish in the river, although we really hmm. struggle to we struggle to get them to bite uh, like we are able to do in the lower 48. Um, for whatever reason, they're just, they're very finicky. They'll bite beads every now and again up there or egg patterns, but, um, they're pretty finicky, although they are prevalent. Um, and then lots of Dolly Varden, lots and lots of Dolly Varden. Uh, we do have Arctic char, um, up in the lake and in some of the, the upper reaches of the river, there's a chance that you might run into an Arctic char lower down where we're at, but they're not super common. Um, and then all five of the Pacific salmon species and then pike as well in the river. Wow. Well, like I said at the start, I mean, for me and probably a lot of people that are into the Chinook, I think, you know, just getting a king, you know, would be huge. That would make the trip. And then you add in the rainbows and then that's, that's pretty much a good trip. Um, what else should we be knowing about this period? You know, if you're up there in July about the lodge, the experience, anything else you want to shed light on that we haven't talked about here? 
yeah, I'll take this one just to kind of recap on a couple of things. I just, I don't like interrupting. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, you know, the mousing and top water stuff for the rainbows obviously is fantastic. Uh, but early to mid July is also an awesome time to target them on streamers as well. I mean, they'll bite streamers all the way through, all the way, se- through. All the way through, you know what I mean? Oh, nice. And, but so if, obviously if the conditions aren't great for top water mousing uh, streamers are also an awesome choice as well and so my experience this last year on my eight weight throwing streamers for them was you know i was really happy i was fishing the eight weight like and even for fish 20 to 24 inches like they just fight so hard and on a six weight it would have been crazy but i was i was very happy to have a little extra rod uh for the fish that we were getting you know right and what are the streamers? Is this something where you're casting and stripping streamers? Or are you still swinging these or doing a lot of uh, everything? Yeah, you can do either. Um, again, if they're there, they're pretty willing to play. Um, it, it depends on the water, too. In, in the more dead water, we're stripping them in. If we've got a decent amount of current and you're trying to target generally woody debris that they're holding in behind, we'll swing them you know, uh, around the front side or over the top of that woody debris um, with little strips mixed in along the way, especially once you come to the end of your swing. Um, and they'll, you know, sometimes they'll eat it on the strip in, you know, 10 feet from you. Sometimes it's on the swing when you're still, when you have all your line out. Yeah. And I know this isn't the most traditional way, but my favorite way really is free drifting in the boat and just covering a ton of ground, rowing, having someone row for you. Uh, obviously a guide to do it makes it so much easier. And for the guests, that's the, the, the perfect way, but, um, it's kind of nice just you know, picking the water that you want to fish and just moving on. Or if you're into fish, fishing the same stretch a few different times. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, and it's a really peaceful way as well. If you have someone rowing one of the smaller, uh, you know, jet sleds that we have, uh, can be a really, really peaceful way to, to target the rainbows as well. All right. So now are you targeting them out of the boat too? Yes. Yeah. At, right. at times we, the, the little boats that we have set up for running up the, the smaller tributaries, although they're only 16 feet long, we've set them up to fish out of and to be as comfortable as possible fishing out of. So there's a Lelock anchor nest or anchor can on the front of, of all three of those little boats that we have. Uh, they're set up with nine foot Sawyer oars so that we can row them. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll, We'll run up and then just pick our way down, float our way down with the guide rowing until you start getting into fish. And then you can either get out and fish from the bank if that's your preference. Um, or for those anglers who maybe need to be a little bit closer to the sweet spot, um, we can get the boat in and anchored and target them from the boat. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, you guys, obviously, I think that's the cool thing is you guys have the diversity. You've got the fly game, but you also have the conventional game. You've got the boats. You know, it, it sounds like a little bit of everything. I mean, the trip, you know, you guys are going to be setting up now. I mean, it's still, it's January now, right? It's, it's kind of winter time, but, you know, this is right around the corner. Do you, I know from that first podcast we did, the story is pretty great about how you guys get there. Do you still kind of pinch yourself and think like, man, I get to spend like four months in Alaska. <laughs> like, how do you guys feel? Do you still think about that? So it's funny, like early May rolls around and, you know, there is definitely a part here where we kind of dread being gone from our families and stuff for four months. Yeah. And we actually kind of, <laughs> we relate it to like a snake shedding its skin, right? We have to go from lower 48 to up to Alaska and it's a huge culture shock. It's incredibly different. We're going from living, you know, close to the city to as remote as you possibly can be. Right. Yeah. You don't, you can't go watch you. There's not a lot of stuff you can do up there. No, no, it's completely different. And really, I think the anxiety for Zach and I is the traveling part of it. It just, 
uh, it can be long and it, you know, there can be a lot of bumps along the way and customer service in Alaska sometimes cannot be the best. And that might, you know, you know where I'm going with that, but oh, yeah. uh, I find myself in May getting pretty stoked and I'll like every year, and this will be my eighth season up there. I start watching YouTube videos about Alaska and then I kind of slowly concentrate my way down to more videos like on Bristol Bay. And then I'll watch a bunch of old, like Larry Zonka shows. I'm like, man, all right. I'm pretty excited now. So <laughs> yeah, even though we've been doing it as long as we have, like I still got to pinch myself for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we do. It's either, either we wake up in the morning or we'll meet for like a Monday morning meeting and I'll be like, man, like, and isn't this still cool that we get to do this and we have to pinch ourselves or the, the, the other alternative is that we'll come into a Monday morning meeting and we both look at each other and go, man, are we idiots? Yeah. <laughs> why are we, why are we doing this? You know, cause we get obviously for the, the folks that are listening on the, in the background, you know, we we're dealing with all the, all the business stuff, all the, the not fun stuff that uh, a sure. person coming up for a trip isn't going to associate with their trip to Alaska. Um, yeah. But when we can stop for even just a moment, have a conversation like the one that we're having with you, like I think it just reminds us of how wild and wonderful Alaska is. How it, man, it for those that haven't been up there, it gets in your blood in a way that you just you can't make it go away once you've experienced it. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan referenced us going through a, a molting period, so to speak, in the, <laughs> in the spring where we're transitioning, and like it happens every year early in the spring for me, especially I'm like, man, I do not want to be gone all summer, but there's this call of the wild thing going on in the background that you just can't like, even before we owned it, even when I was riding up there and I had the option to not go, I, nobody was forcing me. Um, you can't not go back. And then certainly once we get there for me, when we fly into Togiak, we take that little, that small plane from Dillingham over to Togiak and we drop down into the Togiak drainage, the entire outside world for me melts away. And like, it's just, let's grab the bull by the horns and let's go. We're in a wild place. We're back home, so to speak. And uh, that's so pretty awesome. that was a long way to answer a, a very no, that's a That's a great answer. That's a great answer because I think it is. I think for a lot of people, it's a once in a lifetime trip, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys are doing it every, you guys, like you said, you know, eight years now and, you're coming up for another four months and, uh, and it's like, you guys are doing, you know, the bucket list trip. It's just your, it's your thing. And, um, and I talked to, I, you know, Jim Teeny, I'm not sure if you guys ever heard of Jim Teeny, but he's a famous oh, yeah. kind of old, old school angler who actually created the sinking lions, kind of our present day sinking lions. He, I just had him on the podcast. He's kind of an old friend of the family. And we talked about, it. I mentioned that I was going up there and, you know, and he kind of met, you know, because he just loves Alaska too. I mean, he's caught probably more giant King Chinook in the 50 pound range or whatever on the fly than anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we actually had the opportunity to sit down with Jim. It's been a few years. Oh, ago. you did. Oh, wow. At the, at the, one of the sportsman shows, he was, uh, he was friends with the previous owner. They were very, very familiar. Oh, okay. So we got to visit with him for a while. I don't know if he would remember us or not, but we, we ran his series of floating lines and his mini sink tips, um, for a number of years, just as our house fly lines up at the lot. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Jim was, um, Jim's actually a friend. My dad had a really tiny fly shop way back in the day, and uh, him and my dad fished together on like the local rivers for steelhead. 
And I remember like being on my dad's shoulders as I was a little kid crossing, you know, the side channels to fish. And, and Jim was this famous guy back in the day, right? He was kind of a bigger than life figure, mm -hmm. but he's just a cool dude, very passionate and just an awesome guy. So cool. Well, this is great. I think, you know, obviously we painted the picture of what it is, what you guys have going, um, you know, I guess going back to this, anything else on this trip, we want to make sure to cover here that, that we missed. I think you guys, the food, right? You're going to have some awesome food, drinks probably some bring some stogies like what can people plan on bringing on this trip can they just bring you know be open to bring whatever tons of uh you know what do you call it your luxury items or do they yeah. need to bring much so i will uh I'll, I'll try and succinctly go over what you would need to bring yeah bring a set of good rain gear um mm. you got a set of bibs and a, and a good rain jacket bring those um bring a good pair of waders if you don't want to bring your own personal waders we have lots of house waders at the lodge. Um, they're not the fanciest waders that you've ever seen, but they work just fine and they keep you dry. You will need waders at some point. Yeah. Do you guys wear boot? Do you like boot foot waders or do you, or do you think it's not cold enough that you really have to have the boot foot? Is it good just wearing the normal waders and boots? Yeah, I would say normal waders and boots. Um, your, your stocking foot waders. I mean, in July, especially there's, and there have been summers in July where it is hot up there. Hot, oh, right. Hot and dry actually. And I mean, really everywhere from 40 degrees to 80 degrees, you know, windy, rainy, sunny, you name it, we've experienced it all. Um, I would definitely bring some t-shirts or some lighter fishing type shirts that are breathable and some shorts or some lighter pants that aren't going to be super warm in the event that we get one of those, those hot stretches that we periodically do. Um, definitely bring um, the strongest bug spray that you can get, uh, the highest percentage of DEET that you're that you're comfortable putting on your body. So bring bug spray. What about the nets? Should people be bringing nets too? Um, you know, they're, they're inexpensive. It's not a bad idea to throw a couple in your bag. Um, I generally don't wear them. There's a lot of folks who, who don't feel like they need them. There are days every now and again, especially if the wind dies down a bit, especially up those smaller tributaries where ooh, the mosquitoes get pretty bad. So yeah. yeah, yeah, they're light. They're inexpensive. Bring a couple head nets with you just in case. Um, and then all your buddies can take pictures of you and embarrass you and, you know, spread the, <laughs> the internet. Um, as far as uh, fishing gear goes, you could show up to the lodge without a rod or a reel or anything else. And we, we will have you taken care of. Um, I understand that for a lot of anglers, especially fly anglers, um, they want to bring their own stuff. They've yeah. selected their own gear for, you know, a, a variety of reasons. Um, so bring, you're welcome to bring all that. We encourage you to bring that. But if for whatever reason your baggage gets lost or you don't want to travel with rods and reels, we've also got you covered there. Um, all food, drink, beverage, any of that's going to be covered at the lodge. Um, we, we take great pride in making people feel very fat and bloated by the time they leave because there's enough food available to them. So you won't, uh, you won't go hungry while you're there. Um, we don't deal in tobacco, so if you like to smoke cigars, go ahead and bring some of your favorites if that's something that you're into. Um, and, and just as a, a reminder, we are a, a dry lodge. Uh, Togiak as a village is a dry village. Um, alcohol is, is prohibited there, and we're within that five-mile radius um, outside of the village. So alcohol is, is not allowed. It's not allowed to be brought into the village. Um, we can't serve it, purchase it, or, or have it at the lodge. Okay. So that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that pretty much covers it. I mean, I think that the cool thing about the, uh, you know, the alcohol thing and it's all, it's, it's really kind of interesting thing. Cause I think anybody that's, um, what I found, we've been doing these trips around the country 
that nobody that we go is is really a heavy drinker. Or if you are, nobody wants to risk a bad day on the fishing water. You know what I mean? Like this is a trip of a lifetime. So I don't think that, you know, the alcohol is really a big thing. Do you guys find that that's the case? Uh, you'd be shocked how many people reach out and, you know, it's kind of hard to say how serious they are via email, but I've had a lot of people that have said, oh, well, that's, that's going to be a problem. And honestly, for Zach and I, if it's a problem for someone and they don't want to come to our lodge because of the drinking part, it's like I think that's probably better, to be honest. We want people there to be to, to be there for the experience. Uh, and we don't have any moral obligations against or oppositions against drinking. Zach and I both love to have a drink every once in a while, but yep. um, it, that's not what the trip's about, you know, and it's no. uh, unfortunately for us, it's really, uh, it's just a legal thing that, you know, we have to deal with. Yeah. And, it, and it's only that. And and there have been, I mean, so we, you know, we know a number of other lodge operators and owners were, we're friends with a lot of people in the industry and the horror stories that we have heard about people just getting way too rowdy um, at these operations that, that do um, sell alcohol or, or even just allow it um, at their, their operations. I honestly want no part of it. <laughs> I, I want I want no part of it. We you know we have a, a super friendly, comfortable dynamic where we're at. Um, our staff members are fantastic. We have a team that is I mean it's basically a family. You know I I've got my my wife and I have our kids up there. Um, our our dogs are up there. It's definitely a family friendly, welcoming, safe environment where we're focused on having a fantastic time in a wild, special place. So you know if uh, if somebody feels like you know, alcohol is a deal breaker for their trip. Uh, we can respect that, but it's probably not the place for them. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. And I, and just to kind of reiterate, I think that that's a part of the thing, like with our podcast, you know what I mean? Like I definitely love a nice IPA, you know, and all that stuff, but I feel like, I think, you know, it's our audience is probably okay with all this because again, it's about the fishing. Oh, of course. Know, the experience. And, yeah. And, and there's no doubt when we fly out at the end of the season and we land at the Anchorage airport, you know, to, to order a beer at the end of the season, like, man, this is a special occasion. Right? Yep. Yep. The, right. the silver gulch at the Anchorage airport at the end of the season. Has We've a... single-handedly kept them in business. Oh, there you go. The silver <laughs> gulch. Now is that a rest? Is that a bar? It's a restaurant and bar. And yeah. that's where we always go. Yeah. Always. Just our, our stopping point. Oh, yep. good. The silver gulch. Okay. That, and is that in Anchorage? Yeah, yeah that's at the airport. It's at the airport. Oh, at the airport. Perfect. It's super yeah. convenient. Anybody that comes to the lodge or flies in via Alaska will probably walk right past it. So. Oh, yeah. I'll have to hit it up. Silver Gold, if you're listening, you can send a check in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, Silver Gold. This is great. All right, good. So we got a spot to hit up after the trip's over. Yeah, um, yeah man, this is, I, I'm excited for this. I feel like it's another, like I said, I mean, Alaska is humongous, obviously, and there's so many places. I mean, when you guys, I guess let's take it away in this, you, you know, we got this area we've talked about today. There's so many areas in Alaska. Do you feel like, have you guys been around Alaska? Do you feel like there's, other, I mean, does this place that you're at feel like it's a little bit different than other parts of Alaska? I, maybe that's a hard question to answer because Alaska is so big, but what's your take on that? Um, so Jordan and I, unfortunately, haven't had the opportunity to see nearly as much of Alaska as we would like. The bulk of it has been coming into the Anchorage area preseason, you know, shop sourcing whatever supplies we couldn't get down here in the lower 48 um, and then flying into Dillingham and then flying to Togiak um, from there. Um, I can't say from firsthand experience that, hey, the Togiak is absolutely different than a lot of these other rivers. But what, what I do know is that a lot of the rivers, um, especially 
rivers connected to the road system that you've heard about since you were a kid growing up and that Alaska is famous for, um, they're not what they once were. And if you want a truly wild experience, we are one of the only lodge operations that is on a river completely by itself with, with that to offer. You can have a, a fantastic remote Alaska trip on, say, the Nushigak um, during the same time period, which isn't very far from us. It's the, the closest major drainage. Um, and they have a world-renowned king fishery. They also, at least pre-COVID, had 39 licensed outfitter operations on the river running those trips we're likely going to be the only licensed outfitter conducting trips during June and July on the Togiak. There may be some others that fly in on float planes. Uh, there weren't last year. It was, it was basically devoid of other, of other sport angling life during that time period. Um, you know, so I'll just allow people to, to weigh that. Uh, I, I don't know that our river is so different in the fish or how they fight or where you're going to find them, but we're different in that there's just not the pressure. Yeah. That's it. You're the only lodge out there in that area. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, let's go back on the lot or on the, uh, the, uh, where you guys are going to the events here. We got the show season, right? So remind us again on that. Where are you guys going to be? Absolutely. So we will be sharing a booth with Woolridge boats at the Puyallup sportsman show. And then we will have our own 10 by 20, uh, booth at the Portland show as well. And I don't have the dates off the top of my head. Um, I know that the first week of February is the Puyallup show and sometime around February 12th uh, to like the 14th, I believe is the first day of the Portland show. And we'll be at both of those all the way through. Uh, definitely come by and say hi to us and uh, we would love to meet you guys for sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be stopping by checking with you guys and say hi. And uh, yeah, this has been great. I think you guys have a good uh, reputation. It's pretty awesome to hear more of the story and excited to put this trip together in the giveaway too i mean somebody a lucky winner is going to get a, a trip of a lifetime and, and i this is pretty cool you guys are able to do this and uh, and we will tell more of the story probably even maybe talk to that person after the trip and see you know how it felt for him but um but yeah guys i think that's all i have uh for this one and we will definitely be in touch as we kind of maybe touch with more of the folks that have been up in your you know to the lodge here and we'll send everybody out to uh togiaklodge.com if anybody has questions and um, yeah, until the next one, thanks for all your time again, you guys. Of course, Dave. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks again, Dave. Pleasure talking to you. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com and please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, Dave at wetflyswing.com. If you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you, check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.